the Lats Factor Podcast. What is up, College Lacrosse fans? You're watching episode 187 of the Lax Factor Lacrosse Podcast. I'm your host, Ted Hoost, and today we're going to talk about a bunch of games. Actually, I'll probably rip through and touch on every game a little bit, but we're going to start with Duke, Virginia, Hopkins, Maryland, and Rutgers, because those are the games I previewed in a little bit more detail. Before I get in, we're going to have highlights and everything, so be sure to you know tune in and, and watch through this, because we'll have highlights for at least the the Duke, Virginia, Hopkins, and Maryland game. So if you're watching on YouTube, giddy up. If you're listening audio only, you may want to start using Spotify simply because the video podcast is also on Spotify. So you can get the audio and the video. And then once I get into rambling about other games, you can flip it and not watch anymore because uh, we're only going to show highlights for those first four. So before I get into it, as always, you can go to laxfactor.com and uh, you can support us that way. You can watch all our videos there and listen to the audio podcast through there. But then we also have t-shirts and crap like that that you can get to support the pod. But I digress. Let us dive into this here. Uh, Duke and Robert Morris. Uh a lot of people expected this game to be a bit closer than it was because last year it was four-goal game and Robert Morris actually had a lead early on. And in this game, as you can see here in the box score, not so much here. It was kind of a, a Brennan O'Neill show to a degree, but more, more than that, everybody in the Duke offense ended up getting involved. Sophomore attackman Brennan O'Neill, he had six goals, and then they had 13 different goal scorers uh, over the course of the game. 21-12 to 12 was the victory for Duke in the end. Uh, Dyson Williams, he ended up having four goals. That was pretty nice. Joe Robertson had a goal and three helpers. Duke defensively looked good. Max Adler looked tough in cage. He had 16 saves over the course of the 55 minutes that he played. And uh, all in all, it was just kind of a, you know, Duke ran roughshod all over Robert Morris in the first quarter. Robert Morris came back. They, if, if we look at the box score here, you see they kind of started chipping back and even things up for a little bit. And, and I think that they, at one point, they got it back to 10-5 uh, before Duke kind of ran away with it the rest of the way. But you can see that first quarter was the, the, the worst part of the game. For Robert Morris, and then through the rest of the game, they played pretty tough. Now, I heard a lot of people talking, and this is not to to slam Robert Morris, but I did hear a lot of people talking about how, oh man, Robert Morris, they're so tough. They they came back and played hard. They never gave up, which is, all of that is true. Uh, what a lot of people didn't say though was, I think with about four minutes left in the first quarter, Duke wholesale subbed all of their attackmen and had a, like a, a second-line attack in the game at one point in the first quarter. That was something we saw them do last year a little bit as well when they when games would get out of hand was to make sure they didn't get any more out of hand. They would And, and I, I assume that's what it is. I assume it's kind of damage control so that they don't embarrass teams here and there because if they had left that first attack in through the end of that first quarter, they easily could have put up 13 goals in that quarter alone. So 21-12 in the end, Robert Morris did, you know, kind of show up and then play tough through the rest of that game. As you can see, it was pretty even, but Duke played a lot of guys, as you saw. And then if we kind of dive a little bit deeper into the box score on this one, uh, it, 
Oh, whoops, someone, Robert Morris is here. I wanted to look at Duke specifically. Yeah, Tyler Carpenter. I, I don't know if you've already seen it by the time because I'm, I'm, I'm talking and not cutting these up at the same time, but Tyler Carpenter right in the beginning of the game had a really nice takeaway as Duke was kind of pressing out on defense. Uh, a pass is being thrown to his guy. He just runs out, takes it. I think he throws it up to, to Caputo, and Caputo scored a goal on a fast break. But the, the Duke defense looked good overall. As we said, a, the um, – uh, Adler was seeing the ball well because the, the game could have been a little bit closer, I think, especially early on if it wasn't for Adler playing pretty tough throughout the game. He made a lot of really nice saves. You know, he, he made the saves that he was supposed to make and he made a lot of saves that he wasn't supposed to make in this game. You see 16 saves uh, against just 12 goals against, so that was tough for him. And, uh, you know, in the end, what would Naso do? Naso... Where are we at for faceoffs here? Yeah, Naso dominated too, 17 to 26 from the faceoff dot. He ends up with nine GBs. So all good things for Duke. Very good sign for Duke. They kind, you know, not a new look offense because almost everybody was back from last year outside of Sowers and a couple of guys. But it was good to see. We we saw a lot of guys on Lacrosse Twitter getting insanely upset that Brennan O'Neill was left off inside Lacrosse's top 10 Twarton list. And at first I was like, yo. Brennan O'Neill's not on the Twarton watch list. I thought when people were chirping on Twitter the way they were making it sound that Brennan O'Neill had gotten left off the Twarton watch list in general, which would be an absolute travesty. Getting left off of Inside Lacrosse's watch list. I, I looked at the list, and one guy made the point, like, hey, who would you take off the list to put Bren Brennan O'Neill on it? And I, I would say, like, five of the guys, especially if you're really trying to make a list of guys that actually have a chance of winning the Twarton. And these, this is not a slight against those guys, but Sisselberger's a face-off guy. He's got to be on the watch list, and they, they'll probably have a, a token face-off guy that ends up being a finalist by the end of it. And they'll probably have a token defender that will end up being a finalist, you know, one of the top five guys at the end. But... It's always going historically. It's always one of the three or four attackmen that end up on the list that get it. Um, and once again, this is not a slam against this player, but Nakai Montgomery was on their watch list. He's going to be on the watch list all year. He's an incredible player. Nakai Montgomery, I do not believe, will be a finalist at the end of the day, though. He'd have to put up a metric shit ton of points to get himself to that point. So, and then uh, who's the uh, the Yale attackman there that they had on it? Um, I'm just drawing a blank. I'm I'm out of practice here, so my brain's not working. But the Yale attackman, the dude had like 80 points or 70 points or whatnot like three years ago when the Ivy Leagues were still playing. He was on it. I would have yanked him for O'Neal for sure because O'Neal's probably going to have a bigger season than him. Uh, and, you know, so I don't know. that People were pissed off about that. But in the end, it was good to see O'Neal kind of step up and stake claim to, hey, I'm one of the best players in the country. And one of the things I'd said is every time O'Neal takes the field, he's trying to prove that he's the best player in the country. This kid doesn't just want to be one of the best players in the country. This kid was the best high school player in the country from the time he was like seven or so. You know, I'm pretty sure he was playing varsity lacrosse when he was seven years old. His highlight cuts go back that deep. I kid, but no, seriously. And so every time he takes the field, he's trying to prove that he is the hype, believe the hype, that it is for real, and that he is the best college across player in the country. So in the end, though, Duke is 1-0. Robert Morris is 0-1. And Duke takes the field again today against Vermont. So I'm looking forward to having a beer or seven and watching that. Uh, really, I can't drink seven beers because I have a, a little condition, heart condition, uh, that they're trying to take care of here for me. But I'm, I'm doing good. All right. 
Next game up that we want to talk about, Virginia beat Air Force 21-11. to Now, this one was a little bit sketchy for, for Virginia early in the first quarter. Offensively, Virginia looked like absolute trash, and Air Force looked solid. As you see here in the box score, Air Force jumps out to a three-zip lead early, and then even though... Virginia came out and outscored them 10-3 in the second quarter. Air Force hung tight a little bit. I mean, the, the score was 5-5 to or 5-4 to Air Force at one point when Connor Schellenberger scored his first goal. And then I believe it was Peyton Cormier scoring a goal. And then Matt Moore scored a goal. And then Petey LaSala scored a goal. And then it went off the rails from there for Air Force. And I think, you know, they might have scored a couple back, but it was ugly after that. And in the end, as we get into the box score on this one, let's see. We want to get off of Air Force. Dodd looked good for Air Force, though. He had a pretty good game. Actually, let's let's not totally ditch on Dodd yet. Let's see what he had. Uh, 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 uh. Why is it? Okay, here we go. Yeah, Brandon Dodd had four goals, and he looked good. He he didn't he he had a decent season last year, but I thought Dodd might have a, a huge breakout season last year. But hey, right off the bat here in this game. Four goals for Dodd. I dug that. Now, if we get into the UVA box score, Schellenberger finishes up the game two and five. Matt Moore, one and three. Xander Dixon looked incredible in this game. Had a couple of quick sticks. I believe he had like just about a quick stick BTB, if I'm remembering correctly, but Xander Dixon looked excellent. And I was hoping that Xander Dixon was going to be one of those guys that kind of stepped up, filled the void. He, But the, the kicker with him is he can do everything. He can dodge with the rock. He can play well off ball. He's incredible in the two-man game. So I expect you're going to see probably a lot of Dixon playing two-man lacrosse with Matt Moore and Connor Schellenberger, maybe even a little bit of Cormier in there. But as you see in this box score, everybody did good. Petey fucking LaSala actually got stuck on defense after one of the faceoffs, ends up picking up the ground ball, books it coast to coast, scored his first goal of the game, and then he later scored another goal after that. Let's see what LaSala did at the faceoff dot. They're not going to tell us here. I presume uh, LaSala pretty much dominated at the faceoff dot. I think he did pretty well. Let's go in here. Trying to find where I would even see it. Yeah, Virginia's stats suck. They need to go with the the same system that all the other ACC teams go with because they are a lot better. But uh, either way, LaSala, two points. It doesn't even matter. If you put up two goals as a face-off guy, you can split the face-offs, and, and you're still happy after that. You can tell I didn't. My goal here is to try to do a little bit less writing prep, use their recaps, and all that crap to try to allow me a little bit more time to cut highlights into the games and to do other things, cover more games also. Because I, you know, last season, every weekend I would spend one to two hours writing it up, maybe more sometimes, writing all the games up. And uh, now I'm going to try to do a little bit less of that. And I'll, I'll just watch the games, enjoy the games a little bit more, take a lot less notes myself so I can kind of shoot off hip. From there, in the end, though, hey, Air Force, valent showing by Air Force. What you saw with Virginia was just they're explosive. You got to watch out for them. It won't matter what the scores are of games; they could be four goals down going into the fourth quarter, and they could put up eight goals on you and come back and win a game. So, you know, kind of puts the ACC on notice here. Overall, excellent game for Virginia. And actually, uh, the the new keeper there. Uh, let me take a look here. What's the? I forget the new keeper's name for Virginia. He had a couple of really nice saves early because it could have gotten a little bit more out of hand in that first quarter. We could have been looking at a four-five zip 
run by Air Force if it wasn't for the the Virginia goalkeeper making some pretty nice saves. And once again, they don't even have that stat here. It's going to bug me. Now I'm going to have to look it up. So let's run down to here. I have it here. Now we're going to be able to get Petey LaSala's face-off stats too here, thank God. Uh, Matthew Nunes, yes. Matthew Nunes got the start for Virginia in cage. He ended up having uh, eight saves against eight goals against. So 50% in net, but early on he had two early saves on Air Force's like first two possessions within the first minute of the game. Two very nice saves. So I think that we're going to see good things out of, math, out of Matthew uh, Nunes here. And then in terms of face-off, prowess for PD LaSala 11 to 18 I think he lost a couple early and then he regrouped after that but you know 11 to 18 from the dot 61 percent we saw this Gable Braun get in there and he did not do bad as well but seven ground balls for LaSala stat line 11 to 18 from the faceoff dot seven GBs one of them not off a of faceoff one of them while playing defense two goals I mean that's a hell of a stat line for PD fucking LaSala there so that's good stuff for him all right let's move on from that we are now going to get into the Hopkins game. I was I was going to talk about Maryland High Point first, but you know, then we had a couple of games. We had a couple of notes that I wanted to make sure I talked about. One thing I did not talk about in that Duke game that I do want to go back to really quick is Andrew McAdory. I believe he ended up having two goals in the game. He may have been two and one in that game, but the freshman midfielder from St. Anthony's, teammate of Brennan O'Neill. Looked looked great in this game. He got time early. Another thing that I like that Duke did in that game that I didn't mention. See, there was things I wanted to talk about, and I forget because I didn't have my notes. Was that uh, that first midfield line? They mixed it up a ton with a bunch of different guys working with Nakai Montgomery. Nakai Montgomery was on the field a boatload most of the time, I would say, running with a variety of different midfielders overall. But McAdory got some runs with that kind of first line or whatnot, whatever you would call it, and uh, he looked good. So watch out for this kid, Andrew McAdory for Duke, freshman out of St. Anthony's. He's going to have a big season. I digress. Now we're back to. Hopkins and Jacksonville. This was a game I picked Jacksonville uh, to, to cover the spread, and thank God they did that, so I didn't look stupid on that. Uh, this was a hell of a game uh, from the beginning to the end here. You know, Hopkins ended up taking control eventually and held on to it here, but overall, Connor Simone had an incredible game. Jacksonville kept it close early. We had, what, a one-goal game at the half, and then Hopkins kind of took a three-goal lead, and then Jacksonville would get back to within two. So for Jacksonville, kind of a statement statement game for them to prove they could hang. Now, I don't think for a second that Jacksonville's pleased with the outcome. I think they legitimately believed that they could go into Hopkins and win this game. And, and hey, man, they gave them a legitimate run but by the end, Hopkins did win out, did get a little bit of separation. Thank God for Connor Simone because the kid played excellent. Jack Keough, uh, uh, let's see here. Uh, Jack Keough had uh, five points here, graduate uh, midfielder. What I like to see, like it's just crazy the number of like fifth-year guys that we have running around all over the place. From a Jacksonville standpoint, that Max Walbaum, uh, I believe he's the transfer. Is he the transfer from Tufts? He actually looked good, the big boy. He actually scored a goal at one point, and he was rubbing his belly as he came around the middle of the field. So, you know, seven shots, four four goals for him, but he ends up four and one on the day. That was excellent for Jacksonville. Uh, and then the story here for Hopkins was Keough went two and three for five points. He looked good. Connor Simone three and one for four points. He looked good. I was hoping, hoping that we were going to see uh, some big things out of Epstein, and I thought I saw, is Epstein not even in this box score? 
Oh, okay. Well, I was going to say, I saw Epstein on the field at one point. No points out of Joey Epstein, though. Ended up with six shots, no points. So that, that was one of my keys for Hopkins. If Hopkins was going to get back to the point that, that they, you know, used to enjoy, where they're a perennial, you know, they make the tournament every year, even if they were close to 500, you know, that eight and six Hopkins, that eight and six, uh, all those teams of the, that Hopkins had where they were, they were only two games above 500. Those teams still made the tournament and were still dangerous as hell. If Hopkins wants to get back to that, they have a brutal schedule. Uh, Epstein's got to play better. He, I mean, I don't, I don't know what they're going to do, but when you, when you have like a roster spot and and you give time to a guy like Epstein, the dude has to put up a point or two. You can't have the kid going zero for six uh, and not also not at least contributing some assists and things of that sort. So I didn't watch that whole game. That game was on when I was trying to split my screen up and I was watching three games at once. It was actually kind of crazy and hectic because I had the audio on for all three so I could hear if a goal was scored and then I could kind of turn and watch the replay. So I didn't pay really close attention to this one until the end uh, as I was hoping that maybe Jacksonville you know, got back within two, one goal or so towards the end, but didn't work out for me, as you see. In cage, let's see what we had in cage for Hopkins. Uh, Kersan did get the start for Hopkins. Eight saves, eight goals against, 50%. You'd like to, he'd like to be a little bit better. They, the coaching staff at Hopkins would like to see him be a little bit better than that. But uh, the story here for, for um, Jacksonville was Hopkins shot the ball poorly. You can, you can make the argument Hopkins shot the ball poorly at one stretch. They, had, they were like two for 10 shooting or something like that. But Luke uh, Milliken. In cage actually looks solid. 17 saves versus 11 goals against in the loss. But hey, man, 17 saves is what kept them in that game. Another thing I, I thought that Jacksonville did good is they, they look good defensively. And I mean, that's probably, you know, Hopkins struggled a little bit offensively and the Jacksonville goalkeeper was playing really well. But I thought Jacksonville looked good defensively. I felt like they were getting back in transition, stopping a lot of, of Hopkins transition opportunities early in the game, you know, and through the middle of the game, uh, which helped keep that score good. So I think, I think in the end, Jacksonville, they didn't play the best game. They didn't play as well as I think they could have. I think they legitimately could have kept a little bit more even with them over the second half. But over the course of that first half, they played an excellent lacrosse game. Everything went well for them. And then they just had a couple of mistakes that they made that allowed Hopkins to to get that lead and then hold on to it throughout. So credit to Jacksonville. But Hopkins did get the win. And Hopkins, hey, you're 1-0, baby. Heading into your next game next weekend. Next game we're going to talk about here. High Point and Maryland, and this one got ugly early. High Point did have a have a good second quarter, outscored Maryland four to four to three over the second quarter. But uh, the key here for Maryland and the, and the key in the victory were was obviously the first quarter and the third quarter. They jump out to a six one lead. Logan Wisnowskis he led the way for the Terps with five goals and three assists. So the new number one played excellent. Graduate transfer Keegan Khan here. Uh, I, I put out a, a, an Instagram post and a tweet just talking about how I think Keegan Khan is going to be one of the biggest impact transfers across the board. Maybe by the end of it could end up being the biggest transfer here in terms of you know the 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 you know what he pays out in terms of production. But uh, he ends up going for six points, four goals, and two assists. Uh, transfer Owen Murphy, what he transfer from Hopkins, I believe. He chipped in four goals. Jonathan Donville, transfer from Cornell, scored the first goal of the game. So you see Maryland doing really well with the transfers. You saw Duke do really well with the transfers in this first weekend here. And uh, it's all paying off for him. One thing I really liked 
in this game, and I'm going to bring it up here on the box score so we can start looking at the points. Asher Nolting, a goal and six assists. So even as they were getting beat up, Asher Nolting went about his business and did his crap. I got in, I didn't get into it, but I had a guy talking about how they thought they're talking about how high points done great things and they're going to continue to climb that ladder of success. And I had chimed in in the conversation and I feel, I, you know, I, I, I think I probably annoyed some people here and there. I even saw the official High Point Twitter account like one of the comments defending that was defending High Point against me. My comment was, Asher Nolting right now is that team. Now look, Braden Maia is incredible, but Braden Maia, five goals, no helpers. And, and I mean, hell, five goals off five shots. That's pretty damn incredible for Bra Braden Maia. But Asher Nolting, one and six. He, he was only one and six shooting, but he had six assists over here. I mean, you know, the dude is just incredible. He only had two turnovers, which is enormous against a quality defense like that. The, the one thing Asher Nolting needs to do to end up being a Twarton finalist, and I legitimately believe he could end up being a Twarton finalist, is he has to take care of the rock. If he takes care of the rock, he's going to end up being a Twarton finalist, in my opinion. So one goal, six helpers for Nolting with just two turnovers, that's incredible. Back to my argument, though. It wasn't a real argument. Everybody was civil. But I just said that Asher Nolting is this team. To think that High Point is going to continue to get better and to continue to do the things they've done while Nolting has been on this team, uh, if they lose him and don't replace him, is naive. You know, I mean, you look at what happened to Penn State when they lose their two big cats. It happens to every team. You know, except the 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 big the the top five teams in the country. It doesn't happen to to Virginia, Duke, you know, Maryland, but it has happened to every other team. You lose your big cat and you lose your stud. If you don't replace them with an equally, you know, with equally with equal talent, you know, you're you're just going to take a little bit of a step back before you find that next gem. And they will find that next gem. But I, I think that once Nolting's done at High Point, you're going to see High Point drop to the middle of the pack probably in their league unless they can pick up one of these dudes who's going to end up being that good. So that's my rant there. But overall, the reasons to be positive for High Point legitimately. Maia had a great game, five goals off five shots. That's just incredible. Uh, Kobe Russell, two goals. Uh, I, I'm not even going to try to pronounce that dude's name. I saw Nick one of Nick Rizzo's goals was nice. Hunter Vines, you know, a goal. How many ground balls did Vines pick up? That's kind of a quiet game there for Hunter Vines. But uh, Maryland here. Let's get through Maryland. That's that's why you're all here. You're all here. Uh, people love High Point, but, you know, obviously Maryland has a hell of a lot more fans overall. Logan Wisnowskis, there's the story of the day. Five goals, three helpers. The big thing I loved about Maryland's offense in this game was that with the Jared Bernhardt-directed offense, the dude was a killer. So he carried the ball a lot. He shared the ball a lot. He scored a metric shit ton of goals overall and route to, what do you have, 90-some 90, 90 points or something like that last year. But the, the offense ran primarily through Bernhardt as a ball carrier, especially later in the season and through the playoffs. The dude demanded the ball, deserved the ball, and he was efficient with the rock. In this iteration of the offense, this kind of new-look Maryland offense, I was wondering who's going to become the primary ball carrier. I thought maybe Keegan Kahn would end up kind of carrying the ball a lot more, which he he did. But the answer to the question of who's going to carry the rock within this offense, because Logan Wisnowskis isn't necessarily a, a primary ball carrier, everybody. The answer was everybody. Everybody got involved. Everybody got chances to go. I'm not sure how that'll pan out down the road, because if you don't have that absolute dominant guy when the game's on the line, that could end up hurting you. But... 
man, in, in, in terms of the flow, the flow of this game offensively for Maryland was beautiful. So many guys got touches. So many guys got involved. You're going to hear a lot of people saying, oh, yeah, but they were playing high point. Listen, high point's a quality opponent that, that has upset some teams here over the last couple of years. They're not, like, shabby. They're used to playing on this stage, and they will always play tough. So is, is high point's defense their strength? No. But I'm thinking you're going to see a lot more of this over the first two, three games where you're just seeing a bunch of guys get touches, and that kind of helps get everybody involved. It helps develop players. Players get more comfortable as the season comfortable as the season wears on. So that's huge. That's huge for, for Maryland. And uh, the, the fact that Logan Wisnowskis can get his points five and three without having to get as many touches is also incredible news for Maryland overall as well. So interest it'll be interesting to watch and see how that plans out but like i said keegan khan is a huge x factor it was good to see owen murphy uh, get his kyle long one and two daniel maltz two and one donville two and oh scored the first goal of the game anthony DeMeo, oh and two bubba fairman one and oh i mean just look at the depth here it is gross overall gross what Maryland has possibly the most talented offense in the country uh, in terms of the the depth all the way down I think Duke compares to that uh, Virginia's behind them I think that re- what we saw yesterday at least I think Duke and Maryland in Maryland in terms of off- offensive depth have a little bit more than than Virginia does but what Virginia has is going to be the whole core is back everybody's back all three attackmen back. You got a guy like Schellenberger that can go from anywhere on the field. So all good things. Good news, though, for Maryland, for sure. Next game up, Rutgers. Now, I got this one wrong. I had made a call. I actually took uh, LIU to cover the spread in this one, and I was really wrong. I, I watched the beginning of this game, and uh, Rutgers came out. It was it was offensively, Rutgers definitely is going to have to figure some things out. But uh, defensively, for Rutgers, just monsters. They played incredible across stifled LIU. LIU has a very capable offensive team and Rutgers kind of just put the clamps down and route to a 7-2 halftime score. And then LIU kind of had a really good third quarter, but you know, it still allowed Rutgers to extend that lead and then, you know, the went off, the wheels came off in the fourth quarter and route to a 15-6 Rutgers win. So, that was all good crap as we kind of get into the box score. And uh, look through here. They held La Calandra to nothing throughout this game. I almost wondered, did he even play the whole game? Three turnovers. La Calandra was like a, had a hell of a season last year. A huge breakout season. Highlight real goal type kid. He was held to nothing overall. Uh, and then as we get down into Rutgers. Let's see here. Yeah, Mitch Bartolo transfer well, where'd Bartolo transfer from Penn I believe he goes five and one in this game uh, with eight shots incredible production out of him just two turnovers uh, Ross Scott two and one for Rutgers Ronan Jacoby I believe he's also a d3 transfer from uh, Wesleyan Ronan Jacoby I uh, just it's, it's gonna be awesome seeing a bunch of these d3 transfers uh, playing at the D1 level and doing well. I believe Ronan Jacoby is a transfer from Wesleyan, but I could be wrong. Correct me in the comments and tell me how stupid I am. He had a lot of shots, though, nine shots. So a lot of production there. Um, 
But in the end, I mean, Rutgers, Rutgers defense won out here. Let's see what they did for the cause turnover side of here. Shane Knobloch, three cause uh, turnovers. Brad Apgar, three cause turnovers. Bobby Russo, two. Ethan Rawl, two. Uh, is Rawl, what, a short stick D-mid maybe? Uh, so just a great job here. Uh, for Rutgers in this game en route to the big win. And once again, defense is going to be their strength. Offensively, they've got a couple of injuries that are going to hurt them badly. Uh, it, I, what is it? Uh, Knobloch, I think, was one of them that got hurt and will be out uh, for the season. And he was a big part. Of, he he had a kind of broke out last year, big time mid for them. So, the, But defensively, they're going to be able to hang. In terms of Cage, Colin Kirst, eight saves against six goals against. Uh, I think Quint... Made the made the statement that he's by far the best goalie in Division One. I. I think that's kind of a bold statement overall. I'm not sure he's by far the best goalie in Division One. Uh, McNaney at uh, at Maryland, you know Adler at Duke. You got a lot of goalies. Uh, uh, who's the the Georgetown goalie? Um, drawing a blank here right now at this moment, but he he'd, he'd be like, hey, what about me? So there's a lot of goalies that are going to try to stake claim to the best goalie in the country. But Colin Kirst, I am a big fan of Colin Kirst. Played strong in cage. Didn't get tested all that much, though. As you see there, there was only what, how many shots on cage? If I do that math correctly, 14 shots on cage for LIU. Will Mark in cage for LIU. Played tough. 15 saves against uh, 30 shots overall that were on the net. So not bad. But in the end, not the outcome I was hoping for. But I think I still beat Skatis in my bet. But, uh, I'll show you. The, I'll kind of go through my picks here, and we'll see what I got right and what I got wrong. But... Uh, now let's kind of talk about some of these others. Bucknell, Mercer, that ended up, I actually thought that Mercer would cover and I did pick Bucknell to win. Sean Goldsmith, early on in this game, Goldsmith didn't really factor, so he must have tore it up in the second part. So I was kind of following around uh, along with the score early and Goldsmith didn't factor early, so he must have came out and broke out in the second half and had a big second half. So he goes four and three, uh, Kepler four and one for Mercer. On the Bucknell side, Connor Davis goes for six goals on the game off just nine shots. Cam Doolin, five assists uh, for five points off. He had one shot. So not too shabby overall for Bucknell. And the goalie battle here. Let's see who won the goalie battle. Yeah, both goalies had a rough day. So if you have a rough day and you're under 50%, we don't talk about you. And then Ashton Wood. They split face. That was one of the things I saw on Twitter that was important to talk about was that uh, what, one of the keys for Bucknell was they did not get absolutely jacked up by Ashton Wood at the faceoff dot. Wood goes 18 of 36. He took every draw as expected for Mercer. But Nick Cravado for Bucknell, he ends up with 12 wins off 19 attempts, 63%. So he actually got the better of Ashton Wood with the draws that he took. And then Connor McCusker, he chips in 6 of 15 at 40%. So Bucknell kind of went by committee. They had three guys take draws in all. But that's the win right there for Bucknell. Bucknell, if they allow Wood to do what Wood typically does... This game goes completely differently, and Mercer probably pulls out a win, but because they were able to control possessions and they were efficient with their possessions, Bucknell, they get the victory in this one. All right, got a little bit of an itchy nose here. Delaware, New Jersey Tech went as I expected. I expected that Delaware was going to uh, beat the spread on this one, and in the end, they did. And let's just see who, who did the scoring here. No more kitchen. 
for Delaware here. But uh, Mike Robinson, six goals and three assists off six shots. Another dude going six for six in terms of shooting percentage. That's just in- incredible. J.P. Ward for Delaware, four and one. Clay Miller, three and one. So Delaware had a, a good time here. Uh, New Jersey Tech, Gage Adams, two and two. Arthur Miller, three and oh. What happened with the goalie battle? All the goalies played like hot trash. So once again, nobody gets spoken of here. If you if you're that bad, you're not going to get get your name mentioned. I don't. I think that we have to make go, hold goalies to a higher standard in that way at least. And uh, faceoff dot. I mean, holy crap! Delaware loses. What is it? I have to do my math here. Delaware loses 21 of 29 draws, but still waxes New Jersey uh, Tech. So New Jersey NJIT. Probably not very good offensively, not very good defensively, so expect a really rough season for them. But that's a that's a big deal for Delaware, that defensively they were able to get stops against a bad team, but still they're able to get stops, and offensively they lit it up all over the place despite a huge disparity. Billy Kroger for uh, New Jersey Tech, 20 of 25 at the dot. So credit to him because uh, this score was already ugly. Could have been a lot uglier if he didn't dominate at the faceoff dot. So good deal for him. Ohio State Detroit Mercy. Now this game was a lot closer early than it ended up looking at the end of the game here. Uh, Detroit Mercy played really tough over the first quarter and the second quarter. Their defense looked good. Uh, you know they ended up ended up kind of wheels come off once again. Ohio State starts kind of figuring. You know they're they're dealing with the loss of Trey Leclaire and a couple of other guys. So it's going to be tough for them. They're going to have to figure out what they're going to do offensively. Who's going to fill some of the void in terms of the lost production. But in the end, they did figure it out. Detroit Mercy played a near flawless first quarter. At one point, I was like, oh man, Detroit Mercy could win this game. And then, you know, by the end, hey, it's over. Myers, though, five and three. Uh, Jack Myers is excellent. Jackson Reed, they're both excellent players. So I think that maybe just their additional touches uh, could fill the void, you know, that you lose when you lose a guy like LeClaire. Jason Knox, 3-0. and Kobe Smith, 2-1. and Griffin Hughes, 1-1. and So as you kind of go through here, these are all recognizable names for anyone that closely follows college lacrosse. So Ohio State, even though they're going to, I think, maybe take a step back because some other teams in the Big Ten uh, are, are really solid. Overall, that's not too bad. Goalie battle here. Caton Johnson and Cajun. I was curious to see how Caton Johnson transfers into Ohio State would end up doing. Uh, eight saves versus six goals against. Not bad. 57% for Johnson. So that's a big deal. And then at the faceoff dot, Inacio, 18 of 21 for Justin Inacio at the faceoff dot, 7 GB. So that is a hell of a job for Inacio. Let's see if Inacio scored any goals. Inacio did not have a point, but who cares? 18 to 21 at the faceoff dot. That is a hell of a job for him. All right, so we talked about that one. Navy and Mount St. Mary's. It was the first upset of the weekend. I had to look over here to make sure I was recording because I've done a lot of talking so far, and I keep always being afraid that I haven't recorded it yet. Uh, Mount St. Mary's upsets Navy. They're calling it the first upset of the year. I think Navy's ranked, but, you know, in the end, it. You don't know this early in the season, and it's not like Mount St. Mary's is chumps. Mount St. Mary's is, or the Mount, as we like to call them, uh, they've they've had a couple of solid seasons here. They've been they've been tough and they've played tough here. But as we look at the scoring here, uh, Cormac Giblin five and zero, Jared McMahon one and two for Navy, Patrick Skel Skelniak three and two, Dane Swanson three and two. So you know, solid scoring from both sides here in a a hard fought game. The goalie battle. And 
both goalies played excellent. Pat Ryan, 16 saves for Navy off 11 goals against, and Griffin McGinley for the Mount, 21 saves for this kid in the win. So there's your win, and there's your 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 score your scoring margin right there is in the saves category for the Mount. Griffin McGinley, McGinley ends up being 70% in the cage versus Pat Ryan's solid 59%. So you win the goalie battle by 11% in a close game. Your team wins the game overall. Hats off there to Griffin McGinley. And then faceoff dot, what happened there? Eh, kind of split here. Navy did get the better of the possessions. Nate Hammond goes 9 of 14 for 64%. Connor Beals wins 10 of 23. But like you said, your goalie makes more saves in a close game. The Mount uh, defensively played good. I, I checked this game out very briefly, so I don't have a whole lot to go on outside of just what I'm reading here. But hey, that's a great win for the Mount. Rough for Navy in this case here, but that's big, that's big shit for the Mount. So congrats to them. Penn State Lafayette, man, most of this game, uh, and I did get this one wrong. I believe I picked Lafayette to cover. I can't remember now what I picked in this one. But anyway, Penn State, I thought they were going to lose this game for most of this game, in fact, but they end up coming back and winning the game 20-15. to 15. Jack Kelly, 4-1 for Penn State. Kyle Aldridge, 2-3, and three, Jack Trainer 4-1. So those are the big names here. Kelly and Trainer were the, the kind of known quantities. Kyle Allridge coming in and having two and going 2-3 and three is excellent news for them. And uh, and then from the Lafayette side, Peter Lehman, 4-1. Kind of both teams, as you look at this here, both teams spread it out. I mean, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 guys registered at least one point for Penn State. And uh, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 10 guys registered points for Lafayette. So they kind of spread it out both sides. Goalkeeping here. Jack Jack Frakian. I don't know how to pronounce that. Jack Frakon, something like that. Six saves, five goals against. Alec, uh, Alaric Fayok, two saves, 10 goals against. So I'm guessing that Fayok probably played in the first half, got his ass yanked, and then in comes Jack Frakian, whatever the hell his name is, comes in and actually plays solid and probably saved Penn State's ass by the looks of it. And then in cage for... Lafayette, you know, Gabe Cummins, 47%, eight saves against nine goals against. Let's see what the faceoff dot did. Pretty split here. Aiden Kelly, 16 to 27 for Lafayette. So that's probably a big story in that game as well. They kind of control the possessions to a degree, but it ends up evening out because both of them uh, had two guys that take faceoffs. One one of their guys was below 50% and the other was above. So possessions were kind of a wash, but hey, Hell of a job by Lafayette, and we don't know what that says, you know. I know Penn State hung tough with Virginia in one of their scrimmages. Lafayette is not supposed to be good. They were bad last year. Penn State was kind of I, – I picked Penn State to finish towards the bottom of the Big Ten. So what does this say about Penn State? Hey, they got a win in a non-conference game. That's a big deal. Is Lafayette better than we thought? You know, who knows? We don't know. We'll find out here next week. What else we got here? Utah-Denver. I should have talked about this game a lot earlier. This was the best game of the day. Uh, once again, I, I, I ate shit because I had picked Denver to cover the spread. I thought that last year that one-goal game was a fluke because Utah's top three leading scorers were all freshmen. And I thought but what I had said was they were just dumb enough not to know that they weren't supposed to hang with Denver, and then they ended up hanging with Denver. My theory this year was now they're sophomores, a little bit smarter. Now they know, hey, we're not supposed to hang with Denver necessarily, and that maybe that head game would work against them. 
it didn't. You know, Utah had leads during this game. It went back and forth. Jordan Hyde for Utah, 4-1. and one. Tyler Bradbury, 2-2. Two and two. We saw Josh, Josh Stout, everyone's favorite uh, club ball player, turn D1 uh, when, when Utah made the flip. One and two. And at this point, it seems like Stout's been there forever, but, you know, who knows. Ted Sullivan had a hell of a game for Denver, had a couple of really nice goals streaking down the right alley, two of them at least that I saw him do. And I think he may have three alley dodge goals where he gets into the alley space. The guy just doesn't have a stick on him, doesn't give him a push, hands free, sticks corners left and right. J.J. Silstrap looks solid, four and one. Riley Curtis, two and two. Alex Simmons, two and oh. Jack Hanna, 1-0, shot the ball terribly. That was something we saw out of Jack Hanna last year. Shot the ball poorly in the first handful of games, maybe first few games. Got his shit together after that and ended up putting up a bunch of points. So that will be something to watch. Cole French played really well. And eh, no, he didn't. Cole Cole French played well down the stretch for for Denver, but both goalies here were under under 50%. So we're not going to talk too much about them. And then Alex Stathakis... Cole Brams here for Utah actually did a pretty good job against Stathakis. I thought Stathakis would get the better of Brams by a little bit more than this. Stathakis goes 18 of 31 for 58%, and Brams for Utah goes 13 of 31 for 42%. So good job by Stathakis, though, because once again, when you're in a hard-fought game like this one and every possession counts, you win a few more possessions than the other guy, and your team ends up winning the game. So good deal. And uh, Holy Cross in Providence, 16 to 9. Michigan and Bellarmine, 22 to 13 in favor of Michigan. Providence beat Holy Cross, by the way. Josh Zuwada, five goals and five helpers for Michigan. A huge game. And then Michael Bohm goes six and three. So we've got a 10 go- a ten point game out of Zuwada and a nine point game out of Bohm. And I don't know what this tells us about Michigan. I know Michigan put the hurt on Syracuse in their scrimmage, but then yesterday in the Syracuse scrimmage against Loyola, what I heard was Syracuse kind of put the hurt on Loyola. So this may be a good sign for Michigan here that they they whack Syracuse in a scrimmage. They get the better of Bellarmine. It doesn't look good for Michigan off uh, defensively because they gave up 13 goals to Bellarmine, but they scored 22, so offensively it looks great for them. And to see Zawada tear it up like that and then Boehm tear it up like that, great deal. Uh, someone had mentioned they thought they saw Clay had a point. I'm seeing here he's not in here, so uh, I was one, everyone was wondering, hey, did Clay play for Michigan? No, he did not play for Michigan. So that is it. That is it, and that's the show, man. What do we got here? The new format where I just kind of ramble and I don't prep. 41 minutes worth of show for you guys, so I hope that's excellent for you all. We have the Duke game today. We're going to put out a couple of videos during the week, just some rando videos that will show some highlights with some cut-ups from what we talked about today. If you haven't checked it out already, we did a stupid um, a, a stupid video on Saturday, yesterday, uh, comparing five college across players to Disney characters. It, it, those videos play really poorly in the YouTube crowd, uh, for at least my audience in the YouTube crowd. So do that. Hey, and also, we're trying to get to 10,000 subscribers on YouTube. So if you're just an audio listener, go hit YouTube up and just subscribe to us for shits and giggles. Just youtube.com forward slash laxfactor because uh, we want to get over that 10,000 subscriber hump. That will be awesome, and we've been stuck at like 9,700 forever. So help us out there. But uh, as always, thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. You can go to laxfactor.com, support us that way if you'd like. And other than that, man, I got nothing left to say, and Hoost is out. 